Like Dr. Bro said, my name is Michael Randall. I'm the intern here. Uh, and if this is your first time at the church, I am so incredibly sorry. Uh, <laughs> of all of the weeks and all of the days that you could have come, you chose to come on the day that I'm preaching for the first time. So I'm really sorry for you. Uh, and given the fact that finals are next week, uh, and like Dr. Bro said, he's pulling out notes, if you see any of the pastors with a big red pin and they are writing a big red F and circling it, uh, don't tell me, please. <laughs> uh, I'm not one for two being on stories, so we're going to jump right into it. Uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 2 today. Uh, today we are actually going to look at uh, some of the faithful and how they see the Messiah. Uh, while you while all are turning to Luke 2, it's also going to be up on the screen. A little bit of background about Luke. Luke was written by a guy named Luke. Shocker. (laughs) Luke was writing this to his friend Theophilus. Now, Theophilus is a very, very good friend of him and was a scholar. But there's a little bit more to this. He also was writing to give an account for the Christians of the day and also for us because not all of the Gospels had been written. Not all of the New Testament had been written. So he was performing something like a research paper where he was going through and writing an orderly account of everything that happens. That's what he talks about in Luke chapter 1. Where we're going to be is actually right after the Christmas story. It's actually going to be shortly after. So at this point in time, Jesus is right around 40 days old. And typically in Jewish tradition, uh, what had to happen was at 40 days the mom, the father, and the child would all go to the temple. And on their, uh, if it was the firstborn child, they would actually pay, they would, they would give a offering, an offering to God to say thank you for the child. They would also uh, do a sacrifice of two young pigeons or two turtle doves as a way of uh, purifying the, the mother. So, now that you know a little bit about it, here we, here we go, jumping in. Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 40. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation, the comfort of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, You may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed him and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child 
to all who are looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. First point I want you to see here is that the truly faithful will ultimately see Jesus for who he is, not for who they want him to be. This is especially important given Jewish culture of the day. Now, Jesus at this point is only 40 days old, and yet both Simeon and Anna see Jesus as the Messiah, as the Savior, as the one who is coming to die on the cross to save all who would believe in their sin, from their sin, not in their sin, from their sin. Also, the other important thing too, the Jewish people of the day, they were not looking for a spiritual salvation. They thought they had that through the sacrifices. No, no, they were looking for salvation from oppression from the Romans because the Romans, if you have ever read any history books about the Romans, they were pretty mean and they were pretty gritty and they were not liked at all. So Jesus came to save them from the oppression of sin, not from the oppression of the Romans. Okay, so now that we've at least talked about the passage, what about these two people that I mentioned? The first one, Simeon. Simeon, uh, we, we don't know much about. We don't know what he did for a living. We, we don't know quite exactly who this man was. But what we do know about Simeon is that he was given a very unusual privilege. Simeon was told by, well, it was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he saw the Messiah. Now, I, I have had family and friends come and tell me, and they say things like, you know, well, God told me to tell you this, or, you know, God told me to tell you that, or maybe it was on my heart to, you know, have you do this. Well, I'm not talking about that kind of thing. That, that's not what I'm addressing here. I'm addressing not just an if sort of issue. I'm actually addressing an issue where the person knows beyond a shadow of a doubt that this is from the Lord, and this is from the Holy Spirit, and that is why this is unusual. It's also unusual because not many people were told by the Holy Spirit, in fact, only one was, that they would see the Messiah before he died. He was also called righteous and devout by Luke. Now, this is also an interesting comment because most of the time now, people think that when you are righteous and devout, you are a, a goody two-shoes, you're a, you're a good guy, you do right things, you do good things, you do okay things, you are a good guy. But that's, that's not what's being addressed here. Whenever someone is called righteous and devout in the Bible, they're not actually addressing the, guy's, the, the person's actions, they're actually addressing something far more important about him. Because when you look at, for instance, Hebrews 11, which is known infamously as the Hall of Faith, it is said that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Not that he did good things and it was credited to him. He believed God. And it's the same here about Simeon. He believed God that God was going to fulfill what was revealed to him about the Holy Spirit in that he was going to see the Messiah before he died. Well, he gets this, Simeon gets this uh, urge by the Holy Spirit to go to the temple that day. And he does. He goes to the temple. And when he gets there, he sees Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. He walks up to them, and he holds Jesus, the coming Messiah, the Savior, in his arms. 
And he says this wonderful thing right here. He says, in, starting in uh, verse 29, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation of the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Now, Simeon's basically saying, I'm done. My job's done. I'm over and done with. I have seen, I have been, you know, what you told me was going to happen was fulfilled. I have seen the Messiah coming. I saw him. I am holding him in my arms. He is going to save all nations. He is going to save all those who would believe. He then says, uh, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel. This is something that's unusual, especially given in that day and age. He is not discussing someone that is going to save them from the oppression of the Romans. Most of the reason I know that is because he doesn't say that outright, that he's going to you know, free them from King Herodias and Pontius Pilate and from the emperor. He's not going to do that. That's not what he came to do. And lastly, Jesus' glory. That's why he brings glory to Israel. And be, through Israel, through all of the promises made to Abraham, Jesus is going to Actual, is going to save people from their sin. Well, Jesus' parents are actually quite stunned. They're marveled at what's going on. They're, they're astonished. And then Simeon turns to Mary, his mom, and says this. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Hold on, let's, let's look at that one more time. This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. This is talking about people that would come to know Jesus, would believe that he is who he says he is, that he is the Messiah, that he came to save the world, and that there were also going to be a lot of people who were going to fall farther into their sin and not rise out of their sin because they would not believe that he is who he said he is. And he is to be a sign that will be spoken against. Well, Jesus was. If you read any of the scriptures, any of the gospels, he was spoken against all the time. The, the Sadducees and the Pharisees tried to trap him in every little thing. They tried to get him to twi be twisted in his words, to get him to contradict himself, to say things that would make him look bad in the public eye, and he never fell for it. But still, he was opposed, even to the point of being put on a cross. But he was to be a sign that would be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts would be revealed because it's about whether or not you believe in Jesus, and that reveals a lot about your heart. And a sword will pierce your own soul, too. Now, this is actually talking to Mary specifically. I... I Sometimes I almost imagine how it would be for Mary to watch Jesus grow up and to do three years of ministry and then to die in the most embarrassing and horrible way. That is still horrible to, these, to this day. The, uh, going to a cross is still horrific. There are a few things that are worse than that. But then, all of a sudden, Simeon is gone. We never hear from him again. At least this Simeon. There's other Simeons in Scripture. But this guy, we, we never hear from him ever again. There's a reason for it. This comes to the second point. The culmination of Simeon's life was to see Jesus, the salvation for all of mankind. That's, that's all he was here to do. It, 
that, that's why scripture doesn't mention what he did for a living or how old he was or what his profession was or if he was educated or not. None of that matters in those eyes. Now, that's also before the cross. I mean, Jesus is still about 33 years before he comes to the cross. So what about us? Well, we're about 2,000 years after the cross. And so instead of looking forward to the coming Messiah and looking forward to the salvation of all mankind happening on the cross, we're looking back and we're saying, you know, Jesus, you died for my sin. I know that. I, I, you know, I can read it in scripture. It's there. I believe it. And so for us, on this side of the cross, the culmination, the climax, the high point of our entire life is to encounter Jesus and to believe about his death and resurrection. That is, that is the high point. That is everything and anything that will ever happen to us. That is the most important thing. We're not identified by anything else. Amen. I'll take that amen, because that's an amen right there. <laughs> so... Now that we've talked about Simeon a little bit, and we've seen how Simeon's whole life pointed to the cross, and we can see him, or I'm sorry, pointing to Jesus this whole time. And while we don't know his age, we can only imagine that he must have been waiting for a very long time, waiting for Jesus to come, and waiting to hold the Messiah in his arms, and to be able to say, salvation is here already. But what about Anna? I haven't talked about Anna yet. Um, Anna is actually a very interesting figure. She's what's known as a, a prophetess, uh, prophet, prophetess. I, I'm sorry. I'm an, I'm an engineering major, not an English major. Um, <laughs> she was known as a prophetess. There weren't actually many prophetess in Scripture. Uh, most notably, Miriam was. So was Sarah. There were a few others. There, there are seven traditionally known. But Anna is very interesting. She's always seen in the temple fasting and praying. That's always where she's seen. She's not seen anywhere else. So she spends most, if not all, of her time in public at the temple. But we know a little bit more about Anna than we did Simeon. We know that Anna is an older lady. Uh, she was married for seven years. She was, uh, she was married for seven years, and then she was widowed for 84. Now, we don't know if it was she was 84 by the time that she came to uh, see Jesus, by, by the time that this event happened, or if she had been 84 years uh, uh, widowed. I'm sorry, if I didn't mean divorced. I said widowed. I think I said divorced. She was widowed. And, she, and I am not married, obviously. I, don't, I probably will not be married for a long time. But I can only imagine going through something like the death of your spouse or going through something like that. That has to be horrible, has to be absolutely horrendous. And yet, Anna's not known necessarily for that. She's not known as this, this uh, rather than being you know, in the temple always, she's not seen outside the temple bitter and mad and angry about something that happened to her a long time ago. There's also a little bit more to this because being, you know, if, if someone died, if, if your husband died in those days, it was very different. Um, and I'm not downplaying grief today, I'm not at all. But women in those days did not have uh, the same uh, rights as, as now. I mean, they were almost considered nothing more than property, unfortunately. 
so when it happened, she was having to be relied on by the, you know, the temple would be having to feed her or her family would. We don't know if she necessarily lived in the temple or if she necessarily lived outside of the temple. We just know that she was always in the temple. And yet through her sorrow, Anna persevered through her faith in God. Uh, it's, it's the only thing that makes, the, that makes sense because why would she be in the temple fasting and praying all the time if she did not have faith in God despite all of her grief and despite all of her sorrow and despite all of the pain that has happened? You see, despite everything that happened to her, she had hope in what was to come through Christ. She knew what was gonna happen. She was one of those that understood that Jesus was coming to save people from their sin not to save them from the Romans. She knew what was coming. You see, Anna's in the temple, probably fasting and praying. She might be ministering to some people there. And she sees Simeon holding Jesus at 40 days old. And she goes and she walks up to them. And she begins talking about this Jesus she begins talking about the Savior. She begins talking about the Messiah. She is talking nonstop about the Messiah, in fact. She's talking about uh, anyone and everyone who would hear uh, and would listen to the redemption of Israel. That's quite a thought. Because everyone wanted to hear about the redemption of Israel. They just didn't necessarily think it would happen in the way that it did. You see, for Anna's life, the culmination, the climax, the high point of Anna's life was to glorify God through fasting and praying, ultimately ending in seeing Jesus face to face. That, that, was, that was the climax. That was her high point. That was all to, that was everything about her was to see Jesus. That, that is where her story ends in scripture as well. She never shows back up in the written texts. So we don't know if Simeon and Anna, if they potentially passed away, you know, a year later. We don't know if they all saw Jesus all the way to the cross. We just don't know. But you see, for us, going back to thinking about how this fits with us today, on this side of the cross, the culmination of our life needs to be glorifying God in all that we do, in everything we do, especially in our understanding of Jesus. You see, Simeon and Anna, they didn't necessarily know the personality of Jesus. They didn't know what his favorite color was going to be or what his favorite food might be or anything along those lines. But they understood something else. They understood that Jesus was the incarnate son of God, that he was God in the flesh, and that he came to die on a cross to save them from their sin. They, they understood that. They may have not seen all of his actions. They may have not been able to read all of scripture and see what was going to happen. Nevertheless, they knew who he was, even if they never met him as an adult. Because while Jesus was 40 days old, he was still divine and he will still be divine when he is 33 and going to a cross. Leads me to a final question. Do you have a desire to know Jesus, to know, know Jesus as he actually is. Not, not as what people on TV tell you, not as what people on the internet tell you, because let me tell you, there are people that take Jesus and the Bible all the time and they use it to fit their own things, their own politics, 
their own form of religion, their own things, because they know that it will confuse people. Or better yet, because they may get attention. Uh, Dr. Burroughs talks about this all the time. He calls it the designer Jesus. A Jesus that someone looks at and they take, and they take parts of scripture and they rip it out, and then they leave parts they like, and they just say, there's Jesus right there. And the reality is that's not Jesus. That's a figment of your imagination type of Jesus. You see, as, as an example, and, and I'm, not, I'm not trying to get political, none of that. I am giving examples here. I have heard a lot of people use the example of Jesus was a hippie, hippie Jesus. Now, I, I was not around in the 60s. I was not born into the late 90s, but my parents were born in the 60s. And every time I hear about the hippie Jesus, I imagine a guy going, you know, make love, man. <laughs> and that's not how, that is not the type of love that Jesus professes. That's, that's not it. Jesus' love is so much better, so much greater, so much stronger than anything a hippie ever thought of. On the flip side, uh, there is something called the prosperity Jesus. Some some of you might know about this. This is the idea that Jesus is my credit card. If I need a car, if I want a car, and I look at the car and I go, I'm going to pray about that car and I'm going to take it and I'm going to name it and claim it and the car's mine. There are people that actually think that. They actually think that they have the ability to manipulate reality because they use Jesus like he's, a bo- like he's a genie in a bottle. That's not how Jesus is either. Jesus is so much better than that. Jesus didn't come to uproot social classes. He didn't come to manipulate anything. He came to do one thing and one thing only to love people, to save them from their sin, to have a relationship with them. That's what he came to do. Everything else that happens because of that is also from him, but it's a byproduct. All of the good things that happen in life, all all of the good actions that people have, that is a byproduct of their faith in Jesus. That is not because they are good people. It's because they love Jesus because the Holy Spirit dwells in them. So as, as we leave today, I, I want you to think about that. Do you have a desire to truly know Jesus? Maybe, maybe you've known Jesus for a long time. Maybe, maybe you have. Maybe you haven't. I mean, either way, I'm going to tell you the same answer. Read Scripture. Because the Jesus that's in Scripture surprises me every time I read it. There are situations that Jesus gets into that I want to run away from or I would go down swinging and fighting. And I can tell you Jesus handles it in the most masterful, most perfect way because he is perfect. I think people miss that. They think that he's just another person. He's not. He's so much better and he's so much greater. He is fully God and fully man. So I want you to think about that as you go on through the rest of your week. Thank you. Y'all have a great night.